comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and the mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. scripture that was just read is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. It speaks of the concern that God has for the Hebrew people. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now, initially, God is speaking these words and sending the prophet to comfort his people. God is sending the prophet to console and provide mercy and care But later, these words would become the call to mission, that not only had the people of Israel had they received comfort in God's love and mercy, but they were called to comfort all of God's people. There was a sense of a continuum of ministry, this life cycle of God's love that for the people who receive God's love, they're called to share it. And as they share God's love, they feel refreshed and inspired, and they share all the more, and so on and so on. We can read these words for ourselves. We receive the comfort of God in our lives during times of trouble, during times of loss and grief, and yet we're also called to go out and comfort all people in the name of God. Thomas Dorsey is known as the father of gospel music. Now, he is not to be confused with Tommy Dorsey, the big band leader of the 40s and 50s. Thomas A. Dorsey was born in 1899 to a loving home in rural Georgia. His parents uh, loved him dearly, raised him up to know and love the Lord. His father was a Baptist preacher, and his mother was the church organist. And right away, she began teaching Thomas how to sing and play the piano. Now, his family was respected in that small rural town, and he understood uh, what it meant to serve God and lead his community. But he would know hardship throughout his life. He was African-American and felt the pain of racism throughout his entire life. When his family was... uh, There in rural Georgia, his parents had been respected members of society, but later on, they needed to move to Atlanta, Georgia, the big city, and they were forced to leave their jobs in the church to find other jobs to help make ends meet. His family was poor, and when Thomas went to school, he was bullied by his classmates. They made fun of his clothes, 
They made fun of the way that he talked, and he would end up being held back a year in school. Later on, as Thomas Dorsey developed his musical career, he was strongly influenced by jazz and the blues style of music, and that was something the church just wasn't ready for. And so he was ridiculed by churches and church leaders who termed the blues and jazz at that time. That was the devil's music. And so he was not accepted by the church either. He would face stress and hardship in prepare, in, uh, uh, providing for his own family. And early in his adulthood, he had two nervous breakdowns. And yet, despite all of this struggle in his life, there was an undercurrent of God's grace and mercy connecting him. And he knew that God's comfort in his life could be used to bring hope and comfort for others. This morning, I want to conclude our sermon series, Music That Changed the World. And I want to be talking about the work of Thomas Dorsey. Now, throughout this series that we've talked this year and we talked last year, we've looked at different songs, different genres of music. We've looked at different composers and musicians that left an impact. On one of the Sundays last year, we looked at the music and the ministry of Reverend Dr. Charles Tinley. Now, he was an incredible person. When he was born, his father was still a slave. His mother was free, but soon after his birth, his mother passed away. And, and so he understood not only just the pain of racism, but the pain of losing his mother and poverty growing up. Early in his life, he knew that he had a call from God to serve him, and so he desired to go into ministry. He didn't have the resources, and so he was largely self-taught. He would uh, work as a janitor in a church by day, and at night he studied a Greek correspondence course. He also developed a friendship with a rabbi at a local synagogue who taught him Hebrew, and that's how he made it through. And in the end, he would be appointed back to that same church as senior pastor. And he would take a congregation of just a few, a handful of people, to over 10,000. He was a phenomenal preacher. And he wrote many hymns throughout his career. Probably the one that we're most familiar with is the one that would go on to be the anthem of the civil rights movement, We Shall Overcome. Well, it was the work and the ministry of Dr. Charles Tinley that would have a huge impact on Thomas Dorsey. And then Thomas Dorsey would feel this calling in his life to pass that on to others, and he would influence singers like Mahalia Jackson, who would go on to influence others, and so on and so on. There was this continuum of God's grace and ministry that those who had received comfort from God were also called to share that love and grace with others. In this morning's scripture passage, it comes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Now, there's a general rule of thumb when you're reading anything from the prophetic books of the Old Testament 
And it's that if the words of the prophet sound really harsh, if they're hard to get through and the prophet sounds like he's condemning the people, it probably comes during a time of Israel's history where everything is going well. They're succeeding, they're successful in in the world, in business, they're prospering. And so God sends the prophet to remind the people Don't rest on your success and forget about those in need. Don't just keep all those resources to yourself. Share them with those in poverty. Care for those who are sick. Take care of the widows and the orphans. If the words from the prophet sound nice and comforting, they are probably coming from a time in Israel's history where things aren't going so well. And God sends the prophet to speak words of comfort, to remind the Hebrew people that they have not been forgotten and that God will come and deliver them from all that is holding them back and captive. Well, that's the case this morning. The words that the prophet speaks come from a time in Israel's history when they have been conquered by Babylon. And the Babylonians came and just decimated the southern kingdom and either killed people or took them off into brutal captivity. It was terrible. Everyone was either killed or made a slave. And so it's in a moment of despair that God is speaking to the Hebrew people when they are at their very lowest. They have no hope. They feel forgotten and abandoned. And God cries out, comfort, oh, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. Now, initially, those words are received by the Hebrew people But later on, they would be seen as their missional directive that they were called to offer comfort to others. This would be uh, very similar to what happened when God delivered the people from captivity in Egypt. The Hebrews had been held as slaves in Egypt, and God sent a deliverer to release them and set them free. And then throughout their history, There would be reminders as part of their uh, worship services, reminders of the comfort that they had received and were now called to give. There are several passages in the Old Testament that say something to the effect of, be kind to the stranger and the foreigners among you. For you were once strangers in a foreign land and you were delivered. You received comfort. And so they understood that When you receive that love of God, that comfort from God, you are also called to share it with others. A sort of continuum of God's love and mercy in life. We are called to be a part of that continuum of mercy. We have received it, and we are called to offer it to the world. And there are three things that I want to discuss this morning that can help us Hear that love of God in our own lives and share it with others. First, it's important to listen for God's comfort. We talk many times here at St. Luke's about finding a time uh, to have a devotional life. We all need a time that's set apart every day to read scripture, to pray, to just be with God, to listen for God's voice. 
to hear the words, comfort, oh, comfort my people. Some of you may be going through difficult, painful times of grief or loss. I hope that you will hear these words from God directed to you. Comfort, oh, comfort my child. Speak tenderly to them. And you will remember that God is your deliverer and is there with you. God has not forgotten you or abandoned you to your grief. God has come to set you free so that you might live and offer mercy and grace to others. Thomas Dorsey grew up in Atlanta, influenced by the jazz and the blues culture that was developing there, but that was seen as something apart from the church. His parents, as you can imagine, strongly encouraged him into church music, and yet he wanted to make a living for his family. He met and married Nettie, his sweetheart, and she encouraged him to stick with church music, but he wanted to pay the bills. And so at night, he'd go down to the jazz clubs, and he learned so much there that would influence his style of music later on. He was influenced by some of the greatest of singers and performers. One of them was a woman named Ma Rainey. Her name was Gertrude Rainey, but everyone called her Ma Rainey. She had a phenomenal voice. But she wasn't just a great singer and performer. She was someone who had real business uh, intelligence and sense. She established her own music company as a single young African-American woman in 1917. And yet when she died in 1939, her brother, who was an official in the church, had to fill out her death certificate, and under occupation, he wrote housekeeper because the family was so ashamed of her singing the blues. And that was the environment that Thomas Dorsey was involved in and learning from and fighting. He went back and forth from playing jazz clubs at night to singing gospel in the churches on Sunday morning. But the back and forth life really caused a lot of churches to reject him. Now, in 1932... Thomas Dorsey and his wife, Nettie, were living in the south part of Chicago, and they were expecting their first child. He was called to be a part of a big revival that was going on in St. Louis, but she was nearing the end of her pregnancy, and so he had this reluctance. He just felt this sense of he wanted to stay and be with her, but he knew that there would be a lot of people at the revival, and so he kissed her goodbye and hopped in his car and started driving to St. Louis. He had just gotten to the outside of town, and he realized he forgot some of his music. So he had to head back, and by that time, Nettie was in bed asleep. And again, he had this strong sense that he wanted to stay and be with her. But she was asleep. He didn't want to wake her, and, and so... He left her quietly. The next night at the revival, things were going so well. He sang song after song, and and finally there was a break where another singer took over, and he was able to sit down there on stage to take a seat. And as soon as he did, a young boy came and handed him a telegram. He opened it up, and all he could read was, Your wife just died. 
and he was rocked to the core. He finally was able to find a phone, and he reached someone at his home who all they would say was, Nettie is dead. Nettie is dead. He could barely stand. His friends had to help him to his feet. They took him to his car, and he made his way back to Chicago. And there he found out that Nettie had died giving birth to a little boy. And so in a moment, he had profound grief at the loss of his wife, and yet a sense of joy that he had a son. Later that night, the little boy died. And he felt that everything had been taken from him. He had nothing left. He felt that he had been abandoned by God. And he didn't think he could go on. He was inconsolable for days on end. His friends tried to tell him things to lift his spirits. But what can you say to someone when they've experienced that kind of loss? And finally, one of his friends understood what he really needed. Professor Fry took Thomas down to a local music college, took him into one of the smaller private rooms where there was a piano and opened up the case and placed his fingers on the keys of the piano. And there, in that moment, he could just be with God. And it was as if the words of the song were his prayer. They just came pouring out, and they also became the answer to his prayer. He would describe it later on and say, There in my solitude, I began to browse over the keys, and something happened to me there. I had a strange feeling inside, a sudden calm, a quiet stillness as my fingers began to manipulate over the piano keys. Words began to fall in place on the melody like drops of water falling from the crevice of a rock. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. For the remainder of his life, he would grieve the loss of his wife and son. But he would find comfort and joy again. He met and married another wonderful woman, and together they had a son and a daughter. But he understood at a very deep level that he needed that comfort from God, and he had received God's mercy. And he was called to offer that to others. It was the calling on his life that as he received God's comfort, he was called to comfort others. God doesn't bring about the pain and the loss in our lives, but God will come and deliver us. God will provide comfort for us through many people around us, through God's word, through God's voice. God will comfort us, and God will help us to give back and share that with others. Second, Christ will prepare a way The scripture goes on to say, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. 
Now, this is a familiar passage to us because it's referenced in all four Gospels in the New Testament. John the Baptist is a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist cries out, preparing for Christ. Christ comes prepare the way for all people. But we hear this as prepare the way, uh, the voice is crying in the wilderness. Now, we know this because we read it and we hear it that way from the New Testament. John the Baptist's ministry was in the wilderness. But I think it's also important to hear it as it's read in the Old Testament. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Now that may seem like semantics, but it's incredibly important because where do we find the struggles and pain and the mistakes of our lives? It's in the wilderness. And sometimes we think we have to be perfect and have everything prepared before Christ comes to us or before we can even go to God. But the reality is Christ comes in the wilderness where we are, in the midst of the pain and the struggle. And so in the wilderness, we're called to prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, we're called to tear down the high places and build up the low places, to make the rough areas smooth We are called to prepare the way in the wilderness. One of Thomas Dorsey's favorite singers was Mahalia Jackson. He met her early in her career, and he helped get her established. He helped teach her some of the things of singing and the business, and they would tour together for many years. She would go on to know international success. She would sing before the heads of state of so many different countries. Now, she made a commitment in her life early on that she would only sing church gospel music. Now, she was always, because she was so successful and she had this voice, everyone wanted her to sing the jazz or the blues style, but she refused Even when she was offered more than $100,000, which at that time was a huge amount, time and time again she rejected it because she knew that she was a voice crying out a message of hope for God. In fact, at one time she would say, you know, when you sing the blues, after the song is over, you still have the blues. But when you sing gospel music, you have hope. In 1955, Rosa Parks was arrested after she refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama, leading to the bus boycott there. On the anniversary, the first anniversary of that event, Mahalia Jackson was called by Reverend Ralph Abernathy to come and sing at a a fundraiser and an awareness event. She was strongly advised not to go. She received death threats. The Ku Klux Klan contacted her, and she was scared for her life. But she also understood that every step of the way that God had been there for her, showing her mercy and comfort, and that she was to use her voice to do the same for others. And so she got on a train and made her way to Montgomery, Alabama. At the train station, she was met by Reverend Abernathy and by a young pastor named Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. 
And she would go on to become one of Dr. King's favorite singers. He used her in so many different events. A few years after their first meeting, Mahalia Jackson would sing at the 1961 inaugural event for President John Kennedy. Her voice became heard around the world, delivering God's message of hope. For this language of making the rough areas smooth, this is actually some of uh, the language comes from ancient Near East warfare. And what would happen is that the king, before he could take his army out into battle, they would have to build a road out in the desert to make everything smooth so that the army could uh, move on forward. Now, this is not warfare language in its use. It becomes deliverance language, where a road is being built for the captives who are held in a far-off land. Imagine that you were a Hebrew slave in captivity, and you look off and you see kind of this dust storm, and you realize they're building a road so that the king could come and set you free. This idea of a road in the desert is deliverance language for all of us. We understand here in Oklahoma what that kind of imagery means. We understand about devastating things like ice storms and wildfires and earthquakes. And some of those we have experienced all on the same day. We also understand the pain and destruction that tornadoes cause. We know that it can wipe out a town. And, and when somebody has lost their entire house, their property, their vehicles, you can't make it right again. But sometimes being in a mission to go out and just start cleaning up their, their front yard to make a way, to clear away the, the barriers, to make the rough smooth again, that conveys God's mercy and that God remembers them in their time of grief. We know what it's like to go through a time of terrific devastation. If you were here in 1995, after the bombing of the Mura building, you know how much it meant to us to receive words of encouragement and help from all over the world. We had search and rescue teams from New York City who came to help us in our grief and loss. And then when 9-11 happened, we had search and rescue teams from Oklahoma City who went and volunteered their time in the aftermath of 9-11. We understand here what it means to receive that comfort and to offer it to others. And so third, we recognize that Christ calls us to comfort the people of God, all people. In the end of this passage, it goes on to say that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, what is it? that the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And you go back to the very beginning of this passage, comfort, oh, comfort my people. The glory of the Lord that is revealed is when we who are receiving God's comfort are involved in sharing that with others. God's glory is involving us in that we know God's love for us and we help others to know the same. For Mahalia Jackson, 
she would understand that the guidance that she had received from people like Thomas Dorsey was hers to share with others. A few weeks ago, Dr. Long was sharing with us about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is the 50th anniversary, 50th year, uh, after his assassination and death. And on the evening that that occurred, he was preparing for an event in Memphis. He had gone to Memphis, Tennessee for the uh, sanitation workers to be in support of them. And he was preparing for the event that night that he'd be speaking at when on the balcony of his hotel, he noticed the musician who was playing music for the event. And he told him, play Precious Lord, Take My Hand tonight and play it real pretty. Those would be the last words that he spoke. A few days later, Mahalia Jackson sang, Precious Lord, Take My Hand on the day of his funeral from Dr. Charles Tinley to Thomas Dorsey to Mahalia Jackson to Reverend Ralph Abernathy and Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There is a continuum of mercy and comfort that has existed. We ourselves know this to be true. We have been comforted by God and we know that we are called to offer God's love and mercy to others. Thomas Dorsey would write the song, There'll Be Peace in the Valley. After hearing about Adolf Hitler and the Nazis rolling across Europe, he wrote the song specifically for Mahalia Jackson, but he wrote it also because he had this sense of great evil and, and tragedy in the world, and that he had a voice that even though it was just one voice, he could write a song that, sung by Mahalia Jackson, would inspire and bring hope and peace. And so he wrote, Well, I'm tired and weary, but I must travel on till the Lord comes and calls me away where the morning's so bright and the lamb is the light and the night is as bright as the day. There'll be peace in the valley for me someday. There'll be peace in the valley for me. There'll be no sadness, no sorrow, no trouble I see, only peace in the valley for me. There is a voice crying out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We are the ones who are being sent out because we know the Lord's mercy in our lives. And we don't have to look that far to find areas of wilderness. We are the ones who are called to take down the barriers and the mountains and the high places of things like racism that still exist. We are the ones who are called to go out and fill in the low valleys and the crevices that are caused by things like poverty and sickness. We are the ones who do, are called to cry out a word of hope, a message of God's love to the people who are in despair and need. Because we know God's love and mercy in our lives. And so hear and receive these words for your life and for your calling. Comfort, oh comfort my people. 
It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen. Amen. 